Welcome to She's Well Fed. This is the podcast for women longing for a liberated, empowered, and joyful relationship with their bodies. I'm Jessie, and I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor, a size-inclusive fitness specialist, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist. And most importantly, I am a woman who has done the work of finding peace in my body. While this podcast is not a substitute for mental health therapy, dietetics, or medical advice, I hope you'll find necessary and nourishing ingredients here so that you too can be well-fed. Welcome back. Um, Today's episode is going to feel a little bit more educational and even academic than other episodes. This is a really good space to orient ourselves in the language around body reclamation. Um, And then I also want to say for any of my therapist buddies, coach buddies, this is a great episode to refer your clients to for like a base knowledge about the the whole space and some vocabulary within that that is a good um kind of orienting spot uh, before you enter into the work of intuitive eating and all of those kinds of things um so we're going to cover some terminology today to just root us in the shared language that we'll have throughout this episode and maybe shared language that if you are somebody who's working with me as a client Um, would experience, or if you're working with your own practitioner or dietitian that works from the lens that I do, these words might come up. Um, So let's dive in. There's just a few. The first I wanted to differentiate is the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders. Those are not interchangeable, although they sound so similar. So disordered eating is the idea that we can have an unhealthy relationship with food Um, And it's when a person engages in quote-unquote abnormal eating habits or food behaviors that are um, disordered in some way on a regular basis. But these are not folks that meet criteria for an eating disorder. Um, And we'll talk more about this in future episodes, but the um, disordered eating might look like um, occasionally eating in a binge style, um, even though that has some clear definitions for itself too. But that doesn't mean that you have binge eating disorder or that you even meet criteria for an eating disorder. Eating disorders are criteria meeting behaviors and experiences, and they have really specific intensity, duration, and frequency that we have to meet. Um, There's more specific criteria for the distress and impairment that they cause the individual, Um, and those criteria are located in the DSM-5, which is what mental health practitioners Um, and other medical-based sciences used to diagnose things. So just a differentiation in those two. A lot of folks with body image issues can have both disordered eating or they may have met criteria for an eating disorder. So that brings me to the next terminology, which is eating, uh, excuse me, which is body image. And we throw this idea around, right? A lot of, um, uh, I've got poor body image, or I've got great body image, or you know, obviously we hear one of those more than another, but body image isn't just a term to describe how we feel about our body. It actually has four parts to it. So body image includes one, the way we actually see ourselves. 
So this is a perceptual experience of ourselves, what we see. Two is the way one feels about the way that they look. So this is the affective or the feelings we have about what we see. The third is the thoughts and beliefs that we hold about our body. So this is a cognitive um, experience happens in our minds and our heads. And then the fourth is the things that one does in relation to how they look. So this is the behavioral component. So what are the things we do or do not do based on those other three? And I pull this out because as a body image expert, a lot of the clients that I'm working with um, may or may not have disordered eating behaviors on board. But when we look at these four components together, we really get to um, some of the compelling experiences that they're having that have led them to me or that have led them to the idea of wanting to shift their relationship with food and body. And we will do an episode um, breaking those four components down further. The next is the body positive movement. This is sometimes abbreviated to BOPO, B-O-P-O, body positivity. And the body positive movement is actually the assertion that all people deserve to have a position um, of positivity related to their body image. That regardless of how society views the ideal shape, size, or appearance, we have a right to feel positive ways about our body. And a specific focus in the body positive movement is placed on centering historically marginalized bodies and bodies of size. So I I will not get on my soapbox here, but the body positive movement did not originate in the space of what we see it now. So there's, there's hashtag body positive that can be, you know, attributed to lots of things that do not really center where this came from. And the historic origins of the body positive movement really had to do with the most marginalized bodies or the bodies that were in the most marginalized sizes. Um, This really has been um, bastardized in many ways when we see relatively thin folks kind of hunching over and um, grabbing tummy rolls and things like that. That's not to say that everybody doesn't have a right to feel positive about their bodies because they do. And that's the whole... um, that's the essence of the body positive movement, but it did originate in communities that were experiencing the most um, restriction and oppression. And then the health at every size or haze, which we talked about in the very first episode, um, does come from the Association for Size Diversity. Um, And that, just to revisit briefly, it's a set of principles that accept and respect the diversity of body shapes and sizes. And it recognizes that health and well-being are multidimensional and that it includes not only physical, but social, spiritual, occupational, emotional, and intellectual aspects. Um, And that promoting eating in a manner which balances actual nutritional needs and hunger, satiety, or fullness, appetite, and pleasure. And then it promotes individual, appropriate, enjoyable, life-enhancing activities rather than um, exercise focused on weight loss. So it's not, um, health at every size is sometimes seen as this, like nothing matters, you know, perspective, nothing around health matters. And that's not true. It's actually really health focused in a broad and inclusive way. The other term I wanted to cover is the idea of a weight set point. Um, this weight set point is something that a lot of people do not know about and the diet industry, really needs us to not know about it because once we know about it, 
we start to see why diets are a scam. So a set point is the weight, the healthy weight at which a body aims to remain. Not what we aim to make our body remain at, but this is a space, a weight, a size that our body is really um, trying very hard to remain at. This is a biological system that works tirelessly to keep us in that weight range. And that weight range is about five to 20 pounds around our set point. Um, And so this is really, you know, when we talk about the idea of why dieting doesn't work, that's because of this. This is the body's um, relentless effort to keep us safe and healthy and whole and to remain at an equilibrium. And so when we see people lose five to 20 pounds, even, um, they're likely losing within their weight set point. Um, and the, one of the biggest side effects of dieting that we know is weight gain. And it's in part because, excuse me, it's in part because chronic dieting and a history of dieting actually increases our weight set point over time. And so it's this really, um, cruel reality for folks who have a history of dieting that the more times we have dieted, the more likely we are to have set that, push that weight set point up. Um, which is again, why we can't tell really anything about somebody's health based only on their appearance, um, or their size. The, the next term is diet culture. And I use the term diet culture or diet mentality frequently. They're, they're not quite interchangeable, and I'll tell you the difference between the two. But diet culture is beliefs revolving around the idea that thin bodies are the most desirable, valuable, and healthy. Uh, diet culture also moralizes food and indicates that eating certain ways are either good or bad. And diet culture also upholds the idea that a person's worth increases when they eat quote unquote healthy or when they exist in a smaller body. Uh, It frequently presents an image of health as living in an able body. So it's, um, it does not accommodate for disability. Um, and that, that ideal body is often able-bodied, thin and white. Um, so when we think about how far away we are in our particular individual body from those markers, Uh, That helps us understand why diet culture feels as oppressive and terrible as it does. So that's diet culture. It's the structure that exists, a culture that exists in our world that promotes those things I just listed. Diet mentality is the mental and emotional and perceptual experience we have of aligning ourselves to that culture. We all live in diet culture, but we all don't have to adopt diet mentality. And diet mentality is this idea that we um, align with those things that I just said in diet culture and also that we move through the world in a way that believes those things I just said. And we do not have to believe them because they simply aren't true. Now, the next terminology, uh, the next term is weight stigma. Weight stigma is a societal rejection and a negative view and even a devaluation towards people who don't comply with those prevailing social ideas of weight and shape. This particularly happens to people in larger bodies. Weight stigma is incredibly dangerous. Um, We know that this shows up a lot in medical spaces. um, And the idea that excess, quote unquote, excess weight on our body is really unhealthy. What is more harmful to someone is weight stigma. And the idea that they cannot access medical intervention or um, 
have access to things that they need in their day-to-day life or in their world without stigma, that is more harmful than carrying around what we believe might be extra weight on a body. So when you have experienced weight stigma before, it is real. Um, And for my helper friends here, if your clients are telling you about things like that, weight stigma is the word for it. You can give that to them and help them name it. The next term is intuitive and joyful movement. Uh, These come from um, the intuitive eating framework, especially, and we'll have whole episodes on every single one of the intuitive eating principles. So I won't go into those here, but intuitive or joyful movement is movement for movement's sake. It's movement, and you'll notice I'm using the word movement instead of exercise. It's movement that's absent from the compensatory intention. It's movement that exists outside of trying to burn off something or earn something. It's the intuitive use of movement, and the emphasis is really high on rest and movement outside of the pursuit of weight loss. And then anti-diet. I am anti-diet. Anti-diet simply means that you are against the beliefs of diet culture. Anti-diet does not mean anti-health or anti-wellness. An anti-diet actively asserts against the oppressive ideas that diet culture upholds, but it promotes individual wellness and a broad understanding and definition of health. And it believes that people can be well without being on diets. The next one is thin privilege. The concept here is that people below a certain size do have a greater access to resources and face less discrimination in society than people in larger bodies. Um, People who wear plus sizes is what we're talking about or face consistent or systemic difficulty or that weight stigma we talked about. Um, Thin privilege is not only reserved for very thin bodies, it actually refers to anybody who easily fits into societal standards of desirable body size. So some of the ways this can show up, um, you may be experiencing that weight stigma, um, or you may be denied thin privilege or not live with thin privilege. If you have difficulty finding clothing that fits your body comfortably um, at any store, Uh, an example that I often use to talk about thin privilege is it's thin privilege that you don't have to worry about how you will feel in an airplane seat. Um, Although anybody these days is not fitting super comfortably into those seats. They become smaller and smaller. Um, But another example of thin privilege is if you were to, um, let's say, forget your suitcase or your clothing uh, on a trip, no matter where you are, you would probably be able to somewhat easily find clothing that will fit your body comfortably um, and that you'll be able to afford with relative ease financially. Um, or that you will be able to access pretty quickly. Um, So these are some terms, and again, we'll dig deeper into some of them, but this is a good orienting point for us. And if there are other terms that you, you were wondering about that I haven't covered here that I left out or didn't think of, please um, let me know. You can email me at she's well fed. Um, That will always be in our episode descriptions, how to contact me. You can also find me on the she's well fed Uh, Instagram page and direct message me there. Okay. I hope that you feel oriented to some of these terms now and I will see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the She's Well Fed podcast. I hope there was something here that was nourishing to you and that contributed to your well-being. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you'll consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review or a rating on the platform where you listen most. That allows this work to access more people. I also want to offer that there are resources available on my website, sheswellfed.com. And if you're interested in working with me personally, you can contact me there too. I provide coaching for women who are ready to ditch diet culture and embrace a joyful, empowered relationship with food, body, and movement. Here's to all of us women being well-fed.